Now it's the seventh week in a teaching series that we've been doing together, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the most famous speeches in human history, um, known by lots of people, quoted by lots of politicians and things like that. And uh, it was, it's essentially a speech that Jesus gave, a sermon that Jesus gave to a group of his followers in about 30 AD. And we are looking at that to see what we can glean from that today. Uh, and since it's gift day today, uh, we're going to be talking about the subject of worry and anxiety. Those two tie in quite nicely. And uh, what's going to happen this morning, I'm going to speak for a bit, share some thoughts from the reading, and then Zoe's going to come and share her experience of this subject, after which I'll finish up. And uh, we're going to invite the children to join us, uh, the 6 to 11s to join us for breaking bread and giving so we can celebrate gift day and what God's doing. Uh, but I'm really hoping and fully expecting that God is going to speak to many of us this morning as we get into uh, what Jesus said about this subject. Now the Sermon on the Mount uh, is full of teaching that's deeply practical and uh, full of lots of worldly, lovely wisdom that people love to quote. And this section is no different. But it's also full of stuff that's deeply countercultural and counterintuitive. Jesus is speaking not just to all and anybody, though all and anybody are welcome to listen into what Jesus is saying. He's speaking to his followers and he's saying, as you follow me, this is what life looks like. And we've talked about uh, who's kind of blessed and happiness. We've talked about anger. We've talked about lust. We've talked about marriage and divorce. We've talked about integrity. Uh, Andrew last week was talking about the, the right kind of lifestyle. And today we're talking about anxiety and worry. Um, and so hopefully, we'll, you know, it will make sense as our, those of us who are following Jesus uh, learn to apply that to our lives. Uh, now, personally, I, I feel a deep kind of attachment to these verses. They were among some of the first verses in the Bible that I ever read and some of the first verses that I ever memorized. In fact, there was one verse that I memorized. It was the first one I memorized and used to um, impress my friends at school that I'd memorized some of the Bible. Uh, they weren't very impressed. Uh, I should have just stuck to playing football. Um, but there we go. I used to, and one Sunday, you know, one Sunday, one week at school, we got given um, the the Gideons, the Red New Testament and Psalms Gideons Bible. Do you remember getting that? I don't know if you'd have got that at school. Uh, we got given that at school. And what I loved about this New Testament and Psalms was at the beginning of it, there was a whole section of kind of life issues, verses to look up when you're struggling with. And so I'd look up all the different things that you know I could think of that I needed help with my life and read the Bible verses that were relevant to them. And uh, among them was this section on worry. And I think that's how I came across it. And now I wouldn't have been worried. I wouldn't have been unusual as a teenager worrying about all the things that I, I was, friendship groups, girlfriends, future, exams, those kind of things. The truth is that anxiety and worry is a big problem for all of us. Um, I don't, you don't need me to tell you that. The strange paradox of our day is that we, we live in arguably one of the most comfortable and healthy times in human history, in one of the most comfortable and healthy societies in human history. And yet we're among some of the most fretful, anxious, stressed out people on planet Earth as well. And anxiety left unchecked can do torment to our physical and emotional mental health. Whether it's through stomach ulcers or high blood pressure or emotional or mental breakdown, anxiety left unchecked can ruin our lives. Uh, friends of mine who are very close to me talk about their battles with anxiety. And at times people have said to me that they feel they're, they're, they're afraid that they might be cracking up in their language because they're so anxious about everything that they say and do and what did she think and what, did, what would they say and what would they think if I do this and because I did that. And, 
And we can tie ourselves in knots emotionally just by thinking through all of the things that we might think we've got to worry about. Actually, the word worry comes from the Middle English word, uh, which means to strangle, uh, which is appropriate because we know that anxiety and worry can often feel like it chokes the life out of us. The problem is the more you live, the longer you live, the more responsibilities you have, the more you've got in your life to worry about, and the more about your, the less about your life you can actually control, the less about your life you have any control over. I remember very vividly after Riley, our firstborn, came into the world, for months I was just walking around going, what have I done? I've brought in a whole world of pain, a whole world of worry that I'm going to have to now live with. And then we had a second child. I thought, goodness me, now we've got two and I have a mortgage. And the, the older I'm getting, the more I realize life is just full of worry. And I imagine in a room like this, there's a broad spectrum of warriors from the kind of on this side, laid back, better check for a pulse, never shown any concern about anything in their life kind of people, to down this end of the spectrum, which just happens to be this half of the room, (laughs) stressed out warriors, kind of people who've made worry a professional full-time occupation. You know, some of you are so good at worrying that you, you ask other people to tell you their problems so just so you can worry about them. And actually, when you're friends with people who are down this end of the spectrum, it really messes with you because you think, I need to worry on your behalf. And actually, parents, that's what you do, isn't it? We worry on the behalf of our kids. And yes, there are many of us who can relate to that, I'm sure. Now, in the 50s, a group of doctors did some surveys and some tests, and they divided people into two types. They said that we have two types of personality, type A and type B. And type A people are more prone to things like heart disease because of anxiety and worry and stress-related issues than type B people. So type A people, the description of them, type A people like to work hard. They never like to stop. Type A people are very competitive. Type A people hate failure. Type A people reflect most of us in the room. The truth is, though, that many of us in the room struggle with anxiety more than other people perhaps. Many people that I speak to uh, talk about it being a real problem for them. Um, Particularly if you're someone suffering from poor uh, mental health or uh, battling with depression, this is a part of your life and something, something that you know you have to battle on a daily basis. The temptation to worry, the temptation to give in to anxiety consuming you is stronger for you than it would be for other people. Now, that doesn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that you are excluded from what Jesus has to say when he talks about not worrying. It just means that for some of us, it's going to be a lot harder to apply than others. We shouldn't be surprised at that or feel bad about that. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has covered all kinds of issues and types of people. And some of you will have sat through weeks and thought, well, I don't really struggle with this, but I know some people who do. And it's the same with worry. Though all of us battle the temptation to worry, um, not all of us will battle with it to the same degree. Um, could someone from the welcome team perhaps just close those curtains? These guys are getting blinded at the back here. The rare appearance of the sun in November. <laughs> okay. So essentially worry is an emotion. Uh, and it's an emotion uh, that we feel toward the things that we are most devoted to. Uh, Or said another way, the things that we're devoted to determine the things that we are worried about. 
Last week, Andrew spoke about cultivating a passion for the kingdom of God. And he said, to do this, devote yourself more to the kingdom of God. Do things that's going to stir a passion towards the things that God is passionate about. And as you do that, he said, you'll be more concerned with those things than other things. But we're devoted to, we, we feel an emotion towards the things that we are most devoted to. We worry about the things that we're most devoted to. And I don't take this the wrong way, and this could come off with me sounding really nasty and bad, and especially since I'm a pastor, but I don't lay awake at night worrying about your job. I don't lay awake at night worrying about you paying your bills. or I don't lay awake at night worrying about your kids in school. Um, now, if you were to talk to me about the things that are causing you stress, I would be concerned, I would have compassion but I'm not going to worry about it to the same degree that you would. Why? Because I'm not devoted to those things. You worry about it because you're devoted. In the same way that I wouldn't expect you to lay awake at night worrying about the things that I'm devoted to. We worry about the things that we're most devoted to. And so since worry is an, an issue of devotion and an issue, a devotion emotion, if you like, uh, let's see what Jesus has to say about it in, uh, in Matthew chapter 6. Okay, so we're going to be reading from verse 25. This is what he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, we need to pause right there, because whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? And so let's back up to verse 24 and just refresh our minds of the context within which Jesus is speaking. Verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So that's the context, which is good considering it's gift day, in the light of gift day, and where we're going to be giving extra from our finances to bless the things that God's doing. It's a good place for us to begin and ask that question. Who is your master? Who is it that you are most devoted to? Jesus says you're either going to be devoted to God, in which case money becomes a servant to that end, or you're going to be devoted to money, in which case... God's not going to serve that. God's not going to help you. You'll feel some tension there. But within that context, Jesus then speaks these words. Okay, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? This is reassuring. Jesus is saying, you are more valuable than sparrows, than birds. That's good, isn't it? Turn to the person next to you and tell them, you're more valuable than a sparrow. There you go. See, how encouraging is that? You will go home today feeling better about your life. Don't start working out who looks most like a sparrow, but you will go home today feeling encouraged because you are more valuable than a sparrow. Jesus' point here is that look at the birds, right? They don't have life insurance. They don't stay up at night worrying about exams. They're rubbish at planning for the future. They just get on doing what God has made them to do, and God knows about them. God cares about them. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory, Solomon was a king in the Old Testament, was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So Jesus now has a go at the flowers. He says, look at the flowers, right? They are lazy, good for nothings. They don't work for a living. And yet, look at how God clothes them. Look at how God makes them splendid. <laughs> so tell the person on the other side of you, say, Petal, you're more valuable than a flower. No, you don't have to do that one. <laughs> we worry about the things that we're devoted to, but also worry is what happens when we look to ourselves for the solution. Or someone said to me recently, anxiety is what happens when you pray to yourself for help. Which I thought, that's good. Because actually there's lots that I stress about in life. And I, I realize that the reason I worry about it is because I'm looking to myself to be the solution, to provide the solution, to work up a solution. Jesus says, look at the birds, look at the flowers, okay? Let's just take a moment to think, what kind of a man was Jesus, okay? Look at the birds, look at the He was someone who lived with his eyes open, appreciating and enjoying the world that he lived in. Some people have this image of Jesus being really serious and glum-faced. It's actually this kind of person who would be able to take time and notice the things that God does in the creation around him. That's an interesting kind of person. That's a fun kind of person. That's a contented, poetic kind of person. It's the kind of person that Graham Norton would have on his sofa on a Friday night and just say, teach me about your, I don't know, your methodology for contentment and happiness. How is it that you appreciate life? Jesus says, it's because I know my Father provides for these things. Okay, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what should we eat? What should we drink? Or what should we wear? For even the Gentiles or pagans, or you might say, even the people who don't follow God, they seek after all these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Okay, this is the bit that's most counterculture about what Jesus is saying. He's not saying don't care about those things. He's not saying don't care about what you're going to eat. Don't care. Don't, don't plan at all. He's not saying that. He's saying don't be devoted to those things. Worries and emotion concerned with devotion. So what should you devote yourselves to? What are you devoted to? What are the things that you're most worried about? Is it your kids? Their grades at school? I'm just Their schooling, their education just constantly devoted and concerned and frustrated and stressed about that? Is it your, your, your work situation, getting the next promotion, making sure that you're recognized and given the credit for the things that you've done? Um, devoted to money, or not money, devoted to the, 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 the comfort that money can buy, needing this, needing that. Devoted to our houses, making sure that they're in the kind of order that we want them to be. If you're devoted to those things, Jesus says, you're just going to live with the emotion of that devotion. So instead, this is where he goes on to kind of point, point the way to a solution to our anxiety. So I don't know if you felt, felt this, even if I've been speaking. When someone says to you, don't worry, it's like someone saying to you, don't think about a pink elephant with yellow spots. Whatever you do, do not think about a pink elephant with yellow spots. If I say, don't worry, like I wasn't worried, but now I am. Like whenever someone says to you, don't take this the wrong way, but <laughs> you're like, okay, what am I going to take this? Well, I don't mean this in a mean way. You're like, you mean this in a mean way. Don't worry. What? I had something to worry about? I was fine. Anyway, here we go. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek. Be devoted to. Pursue God's plan for your life. Intimacy with God. Faithfulness to God. As you do that, 
your emotional life will fall in check. You'll, you'll feel con- more contented. You won't worry or be as anxious as you were before. Jesus is saying, if you seek God and pursue relationship with him, enjoyment of him, if you seek his son to know him more, you'll get the world thrown in as well. But if you seek the world, you'll just get the pain and worry of the world thrown in. You see, the things that we're devoted to, they, they kind of they go in front of us and we follow them and we pursue them. So if I put my kids in front of me and say, I'm going to be devoted to them, their happiness, their schooling, their whatever development, if those things become most important to me, or if I'm devoted to them, I'm just, I'm just going to get blocked by them. I'm not going to be able to see past them. I'm not going to be able to see the way ahead. Jesus says, as you devote yourselves to God, everything else falls in place behind, and you'll find over time that you get those things as well. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles, or today has enough troubles of its own, another translation says. You need all the energy you can get to get on with today, the stuff that you've got in your life today. We spend a lot of emotional energy and worry thinking about things that are out of our control. I think it was Winston Churchill who who told the story of a man on his deathbed telling someone, saying, the biggest problems I had in my life never actually took place. (laughs) The biggest things I worry most about are the things that don't always come to pass. Uh, Corrie ten Boom, who was um, a lady who lived during Nazi Germany in the concentration camps, she said this, Worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrow, it empties today of strength. Which is good. The reality is, though, that living with worry as a very real temptation or as a very real kind of noose that chokes us is a part of life on this earth, isn't it? Being concerned about things and then not knowing how they're going to resolve themselves leads us to all kinds of anxious thoughts and temptations. And so with that in mind, I'm going to invite Zoe to come and share now. She's going to be talking about some of the uh, struggles that she's faced with this whole area of anxiety and worry. So let's give her a big hand as she comes to speak. Hello. Now this is what I miss about my times in CV churches and Baptist churches is the nice pulpit where you can't see people's knees knocking. (laughs) I've always been a worrier and worry for me is that kind of tight, anxious feeling in the pit of your stomach and sometimes it becomes more of a painful knot and even sometimes a more paralyzing fear of just cannot do that. And it's normally got a strong urge to either ignore and run away from problems and and not face them. Don't want to know about the problems and stresses. I think one of the earliest memories of worry for me, which is, I'm sure for quite a lot of us, is that back to school on Monday, that feeling on a Sunday evening, that bit of nervous belly, oh no, and maybe some of you still get it today, back back to work on Monday, oh no, the weekend's at an end. I can also recall that when I was a child, I really hated sleeping in the dark, had to have the light on, and for a long time, this is because I'd watched the movie Jaws. Why my parents watched, let me watch it, I don't know, I'm blaming them, but for months I could not sleep because I thought that Jaws was going to come and eat me in my bedroom where there's no water. Jaws is a shark, he's not going to get me. Worry is not always a rational thing. 
it wasn't until my teenage years, really, that worry um, became to have more of an effect on my life. I was a good student, I worked hard, got good grades, had a happy home life, but this sense of uneasiness was starting to grow within me. I started to worry more about getting the good grades, worries about my future, worries about what people thought about me, worries about my friends, worries of not being able to attain my imposed standard of being perfect. Um, and they all started to combine. And looking back, I can see that I was starting to crave some control over this worry. Um, and unfortunately, this control worked itself out in my eating habits. For me, I could control what I did or did not eat. Um, and of course, it wasn't the answer. And instead of being in control, the food obviously began to control me. And it started to snowball. And soon the control issue got twisted in my mind that thin equals perfect, thin equals no worries, thin equals happy. And this soon developed into the eating disorder bulimia. But one of the wonderful things that I've always learned about God is that he has fantastic timing. And a few months before I really started to go down this road of my eating disorder, um, I'd become a Christian. Um, did it make it easier? Yes and no, I'm not going to lie. It made it, in some ways, it made it a really horrible struggle because I was torn between casting my worries and all my anxiousness onto God, but at the same time thinking, I can't do this, I'm rubbish, I just want to to hide from it. My illness was blinding me to the reality of what God thought about me and how much he loved me. And I just got tired. I couldn't solve my problems. And one night I was in my bedroom, um, late at night, there were tablets on the side, painkillers. And I didn't think, right, I'm going to kill myself. That wasn't my aim. But I was just so, so tired of it all that I just wanted to just make it stop for a bit. And I took the tablets. Um, but that night, something inside me told me to stay awake. I didn't go to bed. I just sat on my bed, um, forcing myself to stay awake. The next morning, got up, got dressed, went to school as normal. Um, and then actually in my RE A-level class, while we were learning about Acts, the, um, the um, Acts of the Apostles, I threw all the tablets up and they came up. I never told anyone what I'd done as far as my friends, my parents, anybody knew. I just had a stomach bug. I do look back, though, and I do think, and I am so grateful to God, because I do wonder sometimes that if I had gone to sleep, what would have happened? Would I have been here now? And I'm just so grateful for his protection that night. But that's what anxiety and worry can lead to at its very worst. It isolates you. It gives you no hope. And there's an overwhelming need to escape it. And of course, taking your life is not the answer. But when you're there, that's, that's all you can see. Shortly after that, I quit my A-levels. Um, just the whole worry about not attaining the perfect grade and I just couldn't cope with it and I thought no it's just easier just to quit I'm just going to quit that's that'll solve the problem of course it didn't still continue to be anxious but then God intervened I saw an oak hall Christian holiday uh, um, advertised and I decided to go on one um, I can only say that God prompted me to do this because at this stage I was happy to go out with my friends but not by myself. I was too anxious to go to most places, let alone to Italy with a bunch of strangers. So I can only say that God got me on that coach. 
Um, as I've said in my testimony before, this is where God healed me of my eating disorder, and I came back from that holiday with no problems with my eating at all. What God didn't take away, though, was my depression and my anxious state of mind. On the surface, I probably looked confident, but worry was still a large part of my life. Too worried to make telephone calls to people I didn't know, and sometimes to people I did. You don't know who's going to answer. Oh, I can't do it. Couldn't catch a bus my, by myself. As one, I was worried I would have to ask a ticket for a ticket, because that means talking to the bus driver. No, I don't want to do that. And then once I'm on the bus, where do I get off? No, no just all-consuming for me. Um, I didn't particularly like large social gatherings um, with people that you don't know. Small talk, no, no thank you. And also, at that time, I was going to a C of E church, so you'd have the, the time of the, the peace, and so five minutes before that, I'd start to get that feeling. I was like, oh, no, we have to turn around and talk to the, the person. And thank you, Jez, for this morning, because I still, I still get that feeling, but I turned around and I spoke to a stranger. So, yeah. <laughs> I still get that, oh, I don't talk to people. But over the years, as I've got to know God more and let him into my life more, some of these worries have started to drop away, although sometimes only to be replaced by others. As Jez already said, you grow up. I've got a husband to worry about, children to worry about, more financial responsibility, jobs to worry about. A few years ago, we were told that we might have to move out of our house, um, and this was a really big worry because we couldn't actually afford to move. Um, we, the only place we would have probably been able to afford would have been a one-bedroom flat, which would not have been great with a dog, a husband, and three children. So the worry of that was, was, um, was heavy. But I did have faith that God had a plan. I know that God is in my life and that he, has, he, he does have a plan. And I thought that I had really given it over to the Lord. I didn't think that I was actually worrying about it. I thought, no, whatever happens, God does have the plan. Once his plan came into action and started to unfold, we soon realized that we didn't have to move. And I can still remember I was sitting in the boys' room in the midst of clutter because I was doing one of those big sort-outs which you start and then you think, oh, why did I start this? But I was sitting there, Mike came in and he said, oh, we don't have to move anymore. And I can still remember <coughs> the actual physical lifting, the physical feeling of that burden just lifting off my shoulders. That worry that I thought I had given over to God, I hadn't. I'd, I was still, still holding on to it. And I think that's one of the greatest struggles with our worries, big or small. Giving it over to God and leaving it in his hands is so hard. We can wrap up our worries with our, with our nice prayers to God, you know, tie, pretty it up with a nice bow on top and hand it over to him and go, there you go, God, that's my worry. But I think often we're like toddlers who are very reluctant to hand over that. You're like, no, 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 no I'll keep that. Or we can be good at pretending to ourselves that we're not worried. We think we've put it out of our minds, but really we've just buried it, ready to resurface at any time, and sometimes not in good ways. We end up imprisoned by our worries, and that is not how God intends us to live. In the past year, I've noticed a great change in myself, and one that is entirely down to God, and I'll forever give him the glory for it, because he has just been so wonderful. I realized that I was still trying to control very much um, worries and solve problems in my own strength and not giving things totally over to God. 
or I would just try not to confront them and just gloss over them and put them in the file back here. That's to deal with later, it'll be fine. To give up control, I had to die to myself, and by that I mean I had to give up my plans, what I wanted, what I thought I should do. It had to be about what God wanted, what God thought I should be doing. I had to refix my eyes onto God. Instead of me being the one to try and control it, avoid it or fix it, I needed to look to God and not to myself. It's got to be God's will, not mine. And the next step for me was then stepping out in obedience. Do what God was asking me, no matter what and no matter how scary. Not the easiest thing when you get anxious easily. But I've witnessed so many wonderful things that God has done in my life and you know, I've, I always feel that you know, when God does something wonderful, it's not just for you, it's for everyone. It's to share, it's to encourage one another with what he's doing in our lives. Um, and so I've always wanted the opportunity to, to talk publicly about him, how wonderful he is and what he's done. But I've also, when I've thought of that and thought, well, if you want me to, Lord, great, but I'm not going to seek it out. And even when Jez asked me, it's that feeling of dread. You think, yeah, I want to do this. But then afterwards, this dread and just this... what have I done? This is not good. But God has started to challenge me on this. When Mike and I first came to King Seaford, we weren't, well, I wasn't really used to a church where anyone can just pray out loud um, when they want to, within reason. Um, And a couple of times I was sat in the service and and God would start to prompt me with um, prayers to say. And I was sitting there, oh, no, Lord, no, Lord. And on two occasions, he gave me a, a specific prayer to pray. I wouldn't say it. And then Mike, obviously, he didn't know what God had put on my heart. God then put it on Mike's heart. And Mike prayed out loud those exact prayers that God had put on my heart. Um, I'd refused. I wasn't prepared to be obedient. And so nothing was put on my heart for a long time. If I'm not going to follow it through. But at the end of last year, I finally stepped out in obedience, but it wasn't without some shoving. I was sitting over the back there with Sunday kids. I really felt a strong feeling that I had to say something, um, come and pray. And I sit in there and thinking, oh, no, I don't want to do this, Lord. I thought, yes, I will. Okay, I will. And, but then the sign for Sunday kids said, Sunday kids going. I thought, oh, what a shame. I don't have to now. I'm going. So I went out those doors, started going down the corridor, and just this, Lord said, no, Zoe, I want you to go and pray. So I had to say to Marlon, can you just take the kids down? I'll be back in a minute. There's something I've got to do. So I then came back to those doors, didn't immediately come through. I kind of just stood there, did a little, oh, no, Lord, no. <laughs> Pushed through the doors, didn't come straight up the front, went back to my seat where Jack, my eldest son, was. He looks at me very quizzically and goes, Mom, what are you doing? And I would remember just going, really don't know I really don't know and he was and then I think God just gave me a shove because then before I knew it, I was up the front with the microphone and I was praying and that was that was a real spiritual shove because I think I was just taking my time there um that first step of obedience and dying to my needs has been the start of something wonderful. And since then, I have prayed out more um, aloud in meetings. It's still not always easy. You still get those um, nerves. But I've started to feel a new sense of 
freedom in God, and it's gradually beginning to chip away at those shackles of worry. Earlier this year, as a lot of you know, that um, my husband had to have um, brain surgery um, because he had a, an aneurysm. Um, it was found that it was really large and it was a, a risk to his life. And on the f- when you first hear this, you just go into a tailspin. You think, what, what happens if the operation isn't successful? What if he dies? What about the children? And for once, it was just something just too immense for me to comprehend. I couldn't do anything to fix that problem. I couldn't go and operate on him. I couldn't guarantee that he would live through that operation. And I just had no choice but to just throw it all onto God. I just had to surrender it. Um, Just something just totally immense, no control. And that was when something wonderful happened. I just had no worry no anxious, painful knot, no fear, and that is, I just felt a peace like no other. Um, I read a quote at the time that said, sometimes God calms the storm around his child, sometimes he calms his child while the storm rages on. And I have to say, I've never felt so, so calm, and that was a peace that was so God-given. And don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that it was easy, it was still hard. It's hard to see your husband wrestle with the the heartache of the operation might go wrong, that he might not see his children again. Seeing your children, you know, upset because they know that dad's got to have an operation and just watching him as he's going through the operating, um, into the operating room and his face just looking so lonely and so scared. But just knowing that that peace, that no, it's all in God's hands, whatever the outcome, it's in God's hands. And over the past couple of months, I've, um, I've still experienced that peace. I can feel the worry sometimes coming back in because, you know, you like to be that toddler and uh, hold on to things. But when I just keep remembering back to that day of Mike's operation, um, I know that pe- people will say to me, oh, that must have been a very stressful day. Actually, I quite enjoyed it. I was just very calm. I had coffee. I read the newspaper. I was, you know, just a peace like I've never felt before. And that is something that I don't want to forget because it's that memory that, you know, that gift that God gave that I want to hold on to. And it's made me realize that for many years I've walked with God, but I haven't taken hold of all the rich inheritance of gifts and grace that he's freely given to me that have just been there but I've just ignored them and for the first time I'm starting to grasp what it is not to worry and why God told us not to but to actually rest in him and give him my worries there's a this is just a snapshot really of of my mind on Friday evening when I was writing this. I can't make my children believe in God. I can't make my husband better. I can't always be sure that our money will stretch for the whole month. I can't do anything about all the violence and death going on in the world. I can't be sure my children are going to do well at school. I can't stop my children getting hurt by their friends. I can't fix people's problems. I can't be sure that I will always have a job. I can't make people like me. I can't always be good enough. I can't write this talk. I can't stand up in front of people and talk. I can't make people like me. That's obviously a big one for me. (laughs) 
I can't do anything to make sure my son is okay when he has his operation next week. I can't stop the possibility of my children's hearts being broken in the future. I can't be sure the next time the car breaks down that that will be the end of it. I can't be sure what the future holds for my family. I just can't, I can't, I can't. And that's what worries turn into, can'ts. And you know what I'm learning? Is stuff that. Because... <laughs> um, I mean, and that's not just a throwing away and ignoring of them. That's a throwing away of, look, I don't want to be carrying that anymore. I don't have to because God is with me. Now, my depression coupled with my anxieties mean that when I wake, first thing when I wake up in the morning, the first thing that just washes over me is just, is just all the worries, all the doubts, everything just floods in and it would just be so much easier just to pull up that duvet and just stay there and ignore the day. And uh, some days are harder than others, but I'm thankful that God has given me stubbornness. My husband probably isn't, but I am grateful that I've got some stubbornness because now, you know, as hard as it gets, I refuse to be a prisoner to worry anymore. So that first moment when I wake up and those thoughts start to wash over me, my first thought is towards God and just say, God, I'm giving you this day. You know, I'm half asleep, so it's not a flowery prayer. It's just normally, God, help. Um, help me get up today. Help me do it. And I found that fixing my eyes firmly on him and not on the worries and the cares of the day um, just helps me so much. God says we won't have worries or hardships, but what he does say is that he will be with us and he'll walk with us every day and he will never leave us. Um, I don't know if many of you read from the daily readings um, that Nicky Gumbel, uh, the daily Bible readings by Nicky Gumbel, and he was recently talking about how he always thought that worries and hardships are something that you had to strive to get through, and once you've got through them, then you'll have a time of blessing and then maybe um, more hardships would would start, but he said what he'd come to realize is that hardships and blessings run parallel, they're together, and I found this to be true. You know, we can become so bogged down with worries and striving to get rid of them that we forget to look to God and we forget to see the blessings that each day brings, even if they're just small, tiny ones. Um, when I think when Mike was in hospital, yes, that was a horrid time, but it was also a wonderful time of blessing because just an overwhelming sense of God's love which was shown through our friends and our church family and just all the little things combined, God was there. Um, And God is changing me and with my eyes fixed on him I'm now starting to find a newfound confidence. I don't want to view the world through my worry lenses anymore. You know, I've had a taste of what it means to be free and... um, And now, you know, there are difficult times ahead. There always will be. There'll be small worries. There'll be big worries. But just really want to be able to give God that burden anymore. And there'll be some times when I won't. And I think that's where we've got to continually check ourselves. Think, actually, who's carrying this today? Is it me? But it's just opened my eyes so much. And there's this, there's some song lyrics that I just want to to end with. Because um, with noticing those, it's like, with just saying that you know Jesus opened his eyes to the world, he saw the beautiful things in life, the flowers and everything. And even though in the hard times, this is what I've found to be true. It says, every day I rise, I wake up to find you're surrounding me with endless mercy. You renew my mind, you're bringing me to life. 
You changed me from what I used to be, opened my eyes, now I can see. You're making this life so beautiful, and you're making me what I'm called to be. Break all these chains, now I am free. You're making this life so beautiful. And I just really want to just stress to you today that whatever is going on, life is so beautiful because we have God in our lives and that hope that he can flood our lives with is just wonderful. Okay, thank you. I want to end by just looking at how Jesus handled worry um, or handled the temptation to worry and despair. I'm going to read from what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that Jesus was arrested. And Jesus could have been excused at this point for giving in to anxiety. Uh, he knew what awaited him. He knew a friend was about to betray him. He knew he was about to be killed for the sins of the world. He knew that he was going to face a, a bloody, painful, shameful death on a Roman cross. And this is what he did. It says in Matthew 26, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He didn't worry. He didn't begin to get anxious. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. It's not the same thing. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. In other words, may what's about to happen not happen. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. And he went and prayed some more, came back, went and prayed some more, came back. It says this in verse 45, Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So when Jesus faced with this overwhelming situation, Jesus tempted, if you like, to give in to anxiety and despair. What did he do? He told his friends. Companionship mattered to Jesus. And he knew his friends couldn't read his mind. Sometimes people say, I didn't, no one cared for me when I was going through things. It was so difficult and no one knew. No one was there for me. Or did you tell them? Jesus knew his friends weren't psychic. He wasn't expecting them to be. You need to tell people when you're struggling, when you're tempted to give in to anxiety. And then what happened is his friends fell asleep. But Jesus didn't give in to resentment and bitterness and say, well, it's the last time I tell you anything. No, he knew what they were like. He knew that their flesh was willing. Instead, what he did do was he leaned into his father. He told his friends and he leaned into his father. He threw himself on God. Zoe quoted from one of the Bible verses in the New Testament that says, Cast your concerns onto God because he cares for you. It's a lovely verse. Cast your burdens onto God because he cares. Lovely verse. Incredibly difficult to do. Our concerns are not little poodles that we lead to God. They're tigers that look to overwhelm us. And so we need to daily bring them to God and say, wrestle it to the ground. Take it to our Father. He can deal with this concern. I will give him uh, my, my worries and concerns. 
Jesus knew he had a father who loved him. He knew his father had a plan that was good for his life. And he trusted him even to the point of death. Now for us, we look back to Jesus and the cross and we know not only do we have a father who loves us, a God who cares for you, we have a saviour who was willing to die for you. You see, in the garden at the beginning of the Bible, one man was tested to disobey God and he failed. At the end of the Bible here, Jesus in a garden is tested to disobey God and he succeeds. He trusts him. Even in the face of overwhelming anxiety or confusion, he clung fast to God. Mike Reeves, an author, says this, The cross of Christ is like a defibrillator for the mind. Which is a wonderful phrase. It shocks us. It wakes us up brings us back to life and we realize this is our God, the God who loves us, the God who gave his son for us, the God that even though we've ignored him and lived lives away from him, still says, I love you, I forgive you, I'm here for you, cast your burdens onto me, do it every day. We're going to respond by singing worship songs and thanking God for his goodness to us. Then as families, we're going to break bread and give Uh, into the gift day as thanks again for all that God has done. But as we get there, let me pray. And perhaps the band can come up and we'll celebrate the cross. Father, thank you for the cross that is that defibrillator for the mind that wakes us up, that brings us back to life, that restores us. Thank you, Jesus, that you care for us to such the extent that you are willing to go through the worst pain, and most difficult situation imaginable. And thank you now, Father, that even though we might have anxious thoughts, we needn't give in to anxiety. We needn't be overwhelmed with worry because we have a Father who loves us and a Saviour who died for us. Amen.